Thank you for joining ReachMD XM157 for this month's special series, Spotlight on Neurology and Psychiatry. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Our guest today says that his book is about artists who anticipated the discoveries of neuroscience. Hmm, I wonder how so. Welcome to the ReachMD Book Club. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host. And with me today is Jonah Lehrer, author of Proust Was a Neuroscientist. Jonah, a graduate of Columbia University and a Rhodes Scholar, worked in the lab of Nobel Prize-winning neuroscientist Eric Kandel early in his career. He writes a highly regarded blog called The Frontal Cortex and is the editor-at-large for Seed Magazine. Welcome to ReachMD, Jonah. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you worked in Dr. Kendall's lab as an undergrad? I did. I had the pleasure of working there for uh, almost four years. I'm amazed that he even had undergrads in his lab. What was it like? It really was an incredible experience. I, you know, I think anytime you work in a lab, you really get a firsthand experience of the scientific process, both just the tedium of it, you know, all this tedious manual labor, you're always pipetting stuff or waiting on experiments to finish, and also the exhilaration of when the experiment finally works and you discover your little brick of truth and the data makes sense, and to feel that exhilaration, it really was a wonderful experience. And how did your book evolve? My book evolved from a pretty serendipitous moment. I was working in the Candell lab, and Eric Candell studies the chemistry of memory, what happens in your brain whenever you form a memory. And I was encouraged by the postdoc I was working for to bring novels into the lab because you really always are waiting on experiments mm-hmm. to finish. And so while I was waiting for these experiments, I, I would get out a novel and read a few chapters. And one day I decided to bring in Swan's Way, which is the first novel in the Proustian epic. And I just got sucked into this French melodrama. And before long, I had, you know, I was halfway through these 3,000 pages. And at a certain point, I realized that Proust had this very modern sense of how his memory worked. It really is a novel about memory. The whole novel unfolds from the perspective of this man remembering his childhood and his past loves. And and Proust had this very, very modern notion of how the mind actually remembered things. And and I realized that Proust, in certain cases, was actually literally anticipating my experiments. So that's where I had this first slightly strange idea that an artist might actually might actually be able to anticipate neuroscience in their art. It's a great visual of you sitting in Kandel's lab reading Swan's Way. You have to imagine a view of New Jersey in the background. His, his lab is up at 160th Street in Harlem, and, and the particular room I was looking in, I was working in, had this, had this great view of New Jersey. And so there I was in the corner, surrounded by salt buffers and a PCR machine, and, you know, and a plesia probably splayed out in, on the desk in front of me, reading um, about a man eating cookies. <laughs> So that could have been the cover of your book, but instead you chose a picture of a cookie. The cookie is this very seminal moment in Proust's novel. That's that's really where the novel, where the story begins. The adult, the narrator, is dipping a madeleine, a lemony buttery cookie, into his lime flour tea and all of a sudden recovers, remembers these, these incredibly detailed childhood memories. And then they just come flooding back to him. And that really is where the novel begins. The novel is an investigation of these memories. Now, your book, Proust Was a Neuroscientist, begins, though, with Walt Whitman. What did we learn from him? I think Walt Whitman had a very prescient notion of how our mind and body are connected and how our emotions are really grounded in the body, in the flesh. Um, He was writing during the height of Victorian prudery when the body was something to be covered up. And Whitman's notions of the body got him in band in Boston, for example. It was too salacious. But Whitman had a very 
very modern understanding of, of just how crucial the body was to the brain, the mind, the soul, as Whitman referred to it, and how all of our feelings are really reflections of the body to a certain extent. That's another strange idea, which neuroscience didn't really arrive at until 15 years ago. Now, Whitman's experiences in the Civil War helped to shape his thinking on this. Um, tell us about that. Whitman was a nurse in the Civil War hospital, and so this was a pretty gruesome job. You know, these soldiers, many of them amputees, there wasn't much you could do for them medically at the time. And so Whitman, you know, really, he saw his job as being a nurse, their soul, as he put it, giving them ice cream, talking to them, reading them poetry, but never his own. So he tried to keep up their spirits. But I think on a more general level, I think this, this kind of exposed Whitman to the insides of the body. He really saw what the body was like. He, he kind of saw inside our flesh. And it also put him in contact with many eminent doctors, like Dr. Silas War Mitchell, who I talk about in the book as, as the first person. He was a neurologist, and he's the first person to diagnose phantom limbs, sensory ghosts, as he called them, which is when, and he discovered this after the Battle of Gettysburg, and this is when, after a limb is cut off, many times patients will still have a sense of that limb. So even though the arm is gone, they'll, they'll tell their doctor, doctor, I can still feel my arm. It feels like it's still there. And Dr. Silas War Mitchell discovered this phenomenon. It's a very strange phenomenon. Many people didn't believe him. And wrote about it in, in a few neurological journals at the time, and even published a short story about it um, in the Atlantic Monthly. And where Mitchell was in contact with Whitman his entire life, even sent Whitman some money to support him later on. And I do think this was part of his zeitgeist. It was people like where Mitchell and Whitman and William James were leading the scientific reassessment of the role of the body. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is the author of Proust Was a Neuroscientist, Jonah Lehrer. We're discussing his book and Walt Whitman. So, Jonah, how did you get to know Walt Whitman? He's always been one of my favorite poets. I just love Song of Myself. And once I had this epiphany from reading Proust, once I actually began to think about how artists might anticipate neuroscience, then it was just a matter of me kind of picking up all my favorite artists. And one of the first people I picked up was Whitman. And this kind of theme in his poetry leaps out at you. He says over and over again in his poetry, the body is the soul, the soul is the body. If the body weren't the soul, then what is the soul? Um, he talks about how his emotions are, are grounded in his body. And this really is a recurring theme. He says it over and over and over again. You know, and so I reread these poems, and I immediately thought about the work of people like Antonio Damasio and other scientists who have much more recently, you're talking the 1980s, 1990s, rediscovered what he calls the body loop and how the mind and the body are so connected and how our sense of our body is particularly important for generating emotions. So, for example, neurological patients who lose the ability to perceive changes in their bodily states also lose the ability to experience emotion. And once you lose the ability to experience emotion, many of the things that we consider rational behavior, rational decision-making also disappears. So, you know, I think we do have a much more Whitman-esque appreciation of the soul and body connection. Other than Whitman's experiences in the Civil War, what else helped to develop this incredibly early sense of how our nervous system works? Whitman, I think, really was a true original. I think he's one of those people, a bit like Shakespeare, who really have very few precursors. And that's true of everything from his ideas in the body to his poetic style. This was a guy writing in com completely free verse, long before free verse was cool or accepted. So he was a radical in many different ways. 
and he wasn't afraid to be censored. I talk in the book about a conversation he had with Emerson when Emerson urged Whitman to leave out some of the more explicit references to the body, to various sexual parts of the body, and Whitman refused. He said, no, you know, I can't leave out any part of the body. The whole body is important. You leave out those parts, you're also leaving out a part of what makes us human, what makes us so emotional and, and, and all the rest. So I think it's very tough to actually pin Whitman down on a specific source for his ideas about the body. But I think it's clear that they were very prescient. One small footnote I talk about in the book is one of Whitman's most famous poems is Icing the Body Electric. And while Whitman meant that as a metaphor, at the time it really was a raging scientific debate about whether or not our brain and nervous system actually used electricity. I mean, electricity had, had just been discovered, so it was a kind of a bizarre idea that our neurons might actually use them as well. And, you know, Whitman, now we know that his metaphor is literal, that sure enough, our entire nervous system uses these minor voltages to communicate. And so there you have this poem, which now know the metaphor is true. So I think Whitman's poetry, you can mine it for all sorts of ideas which seemed radical at the time, and yet now they're just truisms of modern science. So how was he perceived by his peers, Whitman, that is? So an interesting fellow. Emerson, after the first edition of Leaves of Grass, wrote him an incredibly generous letter of praise. But for the most part, Whitman had to generate his own praise. He wrote his own reviews, which, needless to say, were very, very kind. He was criticized. Many people thought it wasn't poetry. And, of course, he was banned. Once his poetry got more and more explicit, it really was attacked and censored as like the pornography of the day. What do you see as the moral of Walt Whitman's story? Here's this great poet who, because he was, he was such an intense student of his own experience, you know, Whitman talks, you know, he wrote a song of myself all about his own experience of his own being. And he really was intensely interested in trying to understand his own mind. And I think the moral of Walt Whitman's story, and this is the moral of many of the artists I talk about in the book, is that by paying such, such acute attention to their own experience, to trying to understand their mind from the inside, they discovered important things about how our mind works. And you know, even though these ideas seem so strange, and the idea that, that our emotions, these metaphysical things, might actually be grounded in the physical body, it's a very bizarre idea. And yet Whitman intuited that. Whitman describes that, that, that body loop, as we now refer to it, in his poetry. So, you know, sometimes these very strange ideas turn out to be true. Now, Whitman is only one chapter in your book, Proust Was a Neuroscientist. Who else do you talk about? Obviously, Proust. Who else? I talk about Walt Whitman, George Eliot, a chef, Auguste Escoffier, Proust, Cezanne, Stravinsky, Gertrude Stein, and Virginia Woolf. So you hit all of our major senses, huh? <laughs> yep, all of our senses. And, you know, most of the artists were modernists. Whitman and George Eliot came before, but, but the rest were kind of late 19th century, early 20th century artists. And, and certainly I would never argue that, that these were the last artists to say, anything, to say anything interesting about the mind, but I just had to, at a certain point, stop, stop writing or else the book would have gone on forever. Now, you mentioned that you had always loved Walt Whitman. Were these all people that you had an interest in before you started working in Kendall's lab? These were certainly artists I'd always been drawn to. I think some of them I'd always enjoyed more than others. I'd always loved Virginia Woolf. Gertrude Stein is someone I'd always been intrigued by. I'm not sure I'd, I'd really enjoyed her writing quite as much. But these were all artists who I knew had, who had really engaged with both the science of their time and, and tried to say something really interesting about how their mind worked. Gertrude Stein, for example, worked in the psychology lab of William James. She was in med school for four years and worked in the premier neuroanatomy lab at Johns Hopkins of her time. She 
eventually dropped out of med school and went to Paris to become a writer. But but she was someone who I knew had been very intensely engaged with the science of her time, and I thought about the brain and the mind and, and how it worked. So these were artists I was drawn to for a variety of reasons, some because I loved Cezanne's paintings or loved The Lighthouse or Miss Dalloway and others because, like Gertrude Stein, I knew and had had this relationship to the to the sciences of the mind. Well, thank you so much for sharing your ideas with us today, Jonah. Thank you so much for having me. We've been discussing Jonah Lehrer's book, Proust Was a Neuroscientist. He has a quote in his book, There is more reason in your body than in your best wisdom. In other words, rationality requires feeling. It's a powerful book. I urge you to read it. I'm Dr. Leslie Lent. You've been listening to the ReachMD Book Club on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. Listen all month as ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals, features a special series, Spotlight on Neurology and Psychiatry.